Psalm 58, verse 1 through 5. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O you sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness. Your hands deal out violence. That's what it says. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. Doesn't it say here that as soon as a man is born into this world, he is inclined and begins to live sinfully? He begins to lie, doesn't he? Well, lies a sin. They be estranged from the womb. And then it says that kind of lifestyle and the influence of living like that is like poison because it will affect somebody because it's already affected you. Now, our subject is the poison of self. That's where we started last week, the poison of self. The message will have no effect upon your thinking unless you have an understandable definition of what poison is and what self is. And poison is any kind of a substance that when you inject it or when it makes its way into something, it either kills it or impairs it. A lot of people have had poisonous experiences and it's affected their body later on. So they didn't die, but they were impaired. And some people have been bitten by snakes or swallowed things or ate things that was poisonous and it killed them. Spiritually, whenever we speak about poison, we're talking about anything that is introduced into your life, anything that comes in contact with you that is received by you that impairs you or ruins your life or corrupts you, makes you the kind of person that God has to judge. Poison must be judged because it is anti or the opposite of God, whatever poison is. The Bible says we're not to be corrupted by this world. We're not to be polluted by this world. Well, those are poisonous things. Now, you get it somewhere. You come into contact with poison in various ways in your life, whether it's people or things, and it affects your life. And if you don't change, if this isn't pointed out, God will judge you. You see, self, the other word, self, is simply me. I am a me. I am a myself. I'm a I. The word soul used in the Bible was used in the creation of Adam. Adam was made a living soul. He was made. He became. He was a I, a me. Soul is you. That's what the soul is. As I drew on the board here the other day, the soul in and of itself can do nothing or become nothing. You were made with a will. Every man that has a soul has a will. Your life will be determined by your will, the choices you make. But in and of itself, a living soul, Adam, there was nothing about soul that could do anything. Your soul is made to be influenced by one of two things, either the world or God. There's nothing else. And whichever one you are willing to lean to, listen to, or desire is the one that will control you. Your life will be determined by it. 
If, for example, in 1 John 2 and verse 6, if it's the world, here's what you got. The Bible says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's all about me being and having what I want. All that is in the world produces you to be that kind of a person, a selfish, self-centered, self-serving person. And goes on to say that none of this is of the Father, but it's of the devil. It's just like James chapter 3. He talks about wisdom. The people that live according to this world have opinions and ideas and philosophies. Well, this is the way I see it. This is how I see it. And anytime it doesn't agree with God and fall in line with what God says, these ideas in life, James 3 says that this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly. And he goes on to say it's devilish or demonic. The devil has given you that to think about. The devil has given you all these things in the world to aspire to be like, to look like, to act like, to talk like, to think like, to have an attitude like. That's what the devil does. He uses the world. He told Jesus, look at all these kingdoms of the world. I give you all of that if you'll bow to me. Because look who you would be. Throw yourself off the pinnacle of this temple. Everybody would say, wow, you'd be famous. It's all of the world. It's all the devil. Every bit of that stuff, God has to judge. And so it is for us as Christians, at some point in our Christian life, experience, study, pursuit, we need to have whatever self is, as God identifies self, we have to have that made real to us. We have to see what self is. Now you say, well, self is me. It is me. But when me leans to the world over here, when the world begins to influence me, then I become what the Bible calls a sinner, a sinful man, a wicked man. And I do that naturally. And whenever there's no God influence in my life, whenever this is out, the Bible says while you live in this world and you're alive, you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. In other words, you have been sufficiently poisoned that there is nothing of God in your life. Now, you may go to church. You may feel bad about the wrongs you've done, about the mistakes that you have made, but you can't change because you are attached to this world. You have an ear and an eye for the world. You feel bad about what you've done and things that you've said, but you'll do it again. Now, when a man is made alive unto God and he's born again, something from heaven comes into his life and opens this up to him so that now... God begins to dwell in him. He is born again. And that's another subject, a good subject. And when a man is born again, everything that was corrupted here has to change. Remember he said in Romans 12 too, be not fashioned according to this world. You know, be not schematic. Be not built and put together like a building plan like the world, but be transformed how? In other words... What has been done to corrupt your life has been done. But the purpose in the Christian life, Jesus comes in to cleanse you. Now, he did cleanse you from your sinfulness. But all these things in Romans 12 too, all the dirty dishes left in your life, your thinking, in your mind, your opinions and ideas and things that make you belligerent, makes us argue and fight and fuss in church. All of that has to be yielded to God. Sometimes it never gets yielded because self 
Self just can't let go of self. It has to be my way or no way. And we get in trouble with that. Now, today there are several things I want to say about self and how it affects us. So let me begin by just giving you a few brief examples of how people are ruined by self. Take the word self with hyphen will. Self will. A person who is self will is usually a stubborn person. He has his way of doing it and his way of going about things, and that's the way he's going to do it. In my experience, there have been many gifted athletes, young men who could play any sport, they were good at anything, but nobody could coach them. They could never do it the right way. They did it their way, and when you tried to show them the coach's way, they would quit or have to be run off. That's self-will. That's how a man can be poisoned to where he can benefit nobody else because he lives for himself. Now, how do you get that way? Well, there's a lot of ways you get that way, but it all comes from the world. A self-sufficient person might be a well-to-do person, a rich person. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need anything. He can do it himself. I got money. I can buy my way through life. And he's poisoned with that kind of a greed. Another self thing is self-serving. A self-serving person is the kind of man or woman that ruins a marriage. Because you don't care what your mate thinks so much, you do things you want to do. You buy what you want, and whether they have what they need or not, at least you're getting yours. You go places when you want to go, and your family may do without, but not you. You're self-serving. You do things because you want to benefit from it, and you're living in your own interest, often in disregard of the interests of others, including your family. Or how about self-righteous? We have a lot of religious spirits in the world because people are self-righteous. They see their way as better than other people's ways because they have in their own estimation of themselves and their biblical knowledge and understanding, they are advanced. They're above other people. A man once said that he couldn't go to any church, he couldn't fit in anywhere because he knew too much. Now that's a self-righteous spirit a religious spirit, and in fact, that spirit wavers back and forth, never is stable. But he can't see that because he's poisoned. His inside, his mind, his mindset, his way of life is poisoned. A self-seeking person doesn't care who they step on, who they step over, whose feelings they hurt because they're going to have it their way. They're going to do it as they want to do it. They have their own interests, and that's their own agenda. How about the self-pity person? Self-pity. We use self with pity a lot. A person who always seems to seek sympathy, upset with a clear word that will deal with their problem. They just seem to like the attention that they get. They dwell on their own sorrow and problems all the time. Seem like you're always talking to these people. Let me tell you something about people with self-pity. Anytime you get together with them and talk to them, they always talk about themselves. They always bring the conversation back to me. Well, I and I don't know, and it just seems like, and I don't know, I and I and I. Because they're poisoned. Somewhere in their life, some influence, some way or another, the devil was able to poison people. How about self-conceit? One of the signs of the last days is self-conceit. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, it's the word high-minded. 
high-minded or conceited. They'd be lifted up with pride. You see it all the time when you, for example, interview athletes, always telling you how good they are, what I can do, and my shot, my team, and my this or my that. And you want to talk to them, there's always this kind of a cocky, arrogant look, you know. Give me some camera time. Because a conceited overestimation of their own self-worth and who they are, who they think they are. The Bible tells us always to never think more highly of yourself than you should. And anytime you are promoted by something in this world, success of some sort or some admiration that the world put, anytime you begin to live for that and want that, it's self. It's your flesh and it's yourself. These are the things that God must judge. When you tolerate these, and a lot of people do because they don't know what I'm talking about. They haven't understood that yourself, this attitude that you have about life and other people and the pursuits and how you act, the way you present yourself, your behavior, your belligerence and your difficulty. That's why churches split because of self. That's why we fall out with each other because of self. It is always flesh. Self and flesh are the same thing. Self, flesh, and often heart are the same thing. Me, self, flesh, I, it's what promotes us to stand our ground and have our problems. And as long as you have those kind of things in the church, in a home, in marriage, in a community, in life, and these are the last days, you're going to have a lot of this. Read 2 Timothy 3 about the signs of the last days. Boy, it's full of people being promoted to be all that you can be. Do what you can do, and if you have to step on somebody, you just got to do what you got to do because life is all about me. And you marry one of these people, you'll know what I'm talking about. Or if two of them married, I don't think they last long. So Jesus said he's going to have to condemn all these things. He's going to judge all these things. And he said, in fact, if you don't deny yourself, you can't make it. Every offensive thing, every belligerent thing in us, everything in us that wants to argue with God has to go to what the Bible calls a cross. You've got to crucify your flesh and your affections and lust thereof. When you're out, I won't even try to describe it. It was Walmart two days ago. I don't know if people wear clothes. I didn't look. I just saw and I thought, who let those children out of the house like that? Who did that? But you know why you dress like that? You want to be noticed. It's self. It's flesh. Hey, it's me. I'm somebody. Look at me. Ain't I cute? Or cut the sleeves off my shirt. Don't I look bad? Aren't y'all a little bit scared of me? Wouldn't you hate to get into it with me? Wouldn't I just hurt you bad? That's self. That's flesh. That wife who's always trying to correct her husband because, you know, he just, I married a dummy. And she's just always, that's self. That's what's driving him away. And those sharp answers, that's self. I don't know where you got it. We all have some of it in various ways. I don't know where we all got it, but I know what we got to do with it. You got to crucify it. You got to deny it. You got to get it out of your life, or God will judge it. 
People have a bad morning. They come to church instead of praising the Lord. They just fold around. Well, I don't feel like that's self. That's self. That's an expression of you, me, mine, mine. I don't want to. I ain't going to. And you can't make me. And if you say anything about it, I'll go somewhere else because I'm in charge of my life. How would you like to pastor a group like that? You can't. Nobody can. They have no Lord. They have an opinion. They have a conceptual religion. They see God the way they want to see him, and they serve him that way, and they get by with everything they want to do because, after all, I'm me. So all of these things have to go to the cross. Now, how does this poison come in? Let me begin today by saying this. Poison comes in basically through words. You hear things. Again, a living soul is a person that has a will that is either affected by the world, which seeks his attention, or by God, who also gives him something to think about. You'll turn to one or the other in life because there's nowhere else you can go. The kind of person all of us in this room are this morning, the way all of us are or will be, is determined by our will. Who am I willing to listen to? What am I willing to aspire to? Am I willing to see it God's way and then do it God's way? Or am I willing to make opinions or excuses and do it the world's way because it seemed like everybody does it the world's way? And they do. Jesus said only a few. Didn't he say only a few are going to turn this way? Everybody will notice it, glance at it, give some kind of a look at it. But only a few in life, of all the people that have ever been created, only a few, he said, are going to go God's way. Now, that's serious because we need to know, where am I with all of this? And if I've been affected and I have these attitudes and I grumble a lot or I'm turned off and I wasn't voted in or elected or recognized and I cop an attitude over this, where did that come from? Have I been like that my whole life? Maybe so. You go from the womb, you're estranged, and you'd sin like that. But turn to Romans 3. Romans 3, words. Words. People talk. People say things. And when people say things, you listen. And when you listen to what people say, you form little pictures. You really do. If a word doesn't mean anything to you and there's no picture you can go with that, it means nothing to you. If I spoke this morning, if I could, if I could speak to you in French or German or whatever you don't know, as far as you know, I'm speaking in tongues. But if I had a wonderful message in German, very accurate, very good, very blessed, just according to Scripture, it wouldn't do you any good, would it? Because you don't understand the words. Words don't mean anything to you until you have an image to go with the word. And when people start talking about a little dog with a white ring around his nose or something or on his ear or around his neck or on his body, you get a picture of that because you know what a ring is, you know what a neck is, you know what a nose is, you know what a dog is, you know what fur is, and you can put all that together and you can understand it. If I give you instructions, we'll go down this street and when you see a fire hydrant on the right, turn right, and halfway up the street, there's an old tree there with a sign hanging on, turn left there. Well, you know what I'm talking about. But if I want to get it, we'll go to the bottle. You never get there in the Christian life. If these words of God don't have meaning to you, they give no direction to you either. 
And when I give no direction to you, you remain as you were. You're a self-serving person. Whenever the Lord speaks to us about things, he wants us to listen to those things. Because God has a design in every word he says. When we talk about heaven, we talk about hope of heaven or the hope of the coming of the Lord. Hopefully there's been enough training and teaching in your life that you can get a mental picture of it. I want to see me seated in heavenly places. I'm not talking about visualization. I'm talking about seeing what God is saying with the eyes of my heart, seeing it. I want to see me saved. I want to see me overcoming this and that. I want to see my child coming back to the Lord. I want to see my husband say to my wife say, I want to be able to have such a grip on this thing that my faith embraces the reality of it. I can see it. And once I can see it, I say, I have it in Jesus' name. Well, words are like that. The world presents you with all of these things, you know, you can do this and you can have that. And when it's not biblical, but it's worldly, you can be famous and rich and all of this. You get that picture in your mind. It becomes a driving force. That's what you want. You begin to pursue that. Just knock people out of the way if you have to to do that. But listen to what Romans 3 says. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Now, is that true? Well, say amen because the Bible says it. Well, let me go on. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, any man apart from God is like this. There's nothing else you can be. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and so on and so forth. Now, here you got bad people because we were all bad. And these bad people, unrestrained, spew poison out of their mouth. How many children have been ruined by words? How many little kids have been ruined because their parents said, you're no good, you'll never amount to a hill of beans? Or you're a little scumbag. I heard that once. Not from my parents. I heard another parent say that. How many little kids have lost all of their drive to please their parents because of words? You little sissy. You can't do nothing right. You're a little girl. Do you think that can destroy a little kid? Well, of course it can. Why does a person say that? Because of, well, it comes back to me. Look at who I am. I'm not like you. You're just a little something, but not me. I'm tough. No, you're not. The truly toughest people in this world are the people that are Christians because they've laid it all down for the Lord. But we can ruin people with our mouths. We can ruin a marriage with our mouth. A woman can take all the steam out of her husband by just talking down to him. A man can take all the love out of a woman by just the way he talks to her. Words. We can ruin our children with words that never amount to a hill of beans. That's why they get drunk and get on drugs. Well, what good are they? I'm no good. I've been told I'm no good my whole life. I can't do anything right. Who cares? If my parents don't love me, I'm sure God doesn't either. Words. 
Those words come from people that are not thinking right. It comes from self. It comes from a fleshly person. Look at James chapter 3 and verse 8. He said, the tongue no man can tame. Does the Bible say that? No man can. The Spirit of God can. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of what? Deadly poison. What does the poison of a person's tongue do? It poisons others. Doesn't it? Well, of course it does. It poisons other people. Again, it makes children, makes friends, people. The teacher looks down, speaks to students, or a certain young person is having trouble with something, and he speaks. It takes all of a drive out of them. They give up. They just give up. Some people give up easy. Some don't. But everybody's capable of giving up. But it's poison. What about this morning? What about in your lips this morning, in your all's mouth? Is there poison on your lips? Do our words, are they gracious words with each other? Do we speak kind words? Or do we speak poisonous words? Do we influence to do wrong our friends? Can people hear us talk and know that we're Christians? Or do our words have that adverse effect on a lot of people? Speech seasoned with grace. Speak with grace seasoned with salt. Words. Now, the best way that I know of, the most popular way that Christian people are corrupted by words is in the church. There is such a thing called false gospel or error, Christian error. And almost all Christian error comes as a result of what people hear. You didn't wake up one day and believe wrong. Somebody had to teach us to believe wrong. Somebody had to teach us in some way that God could no longer use us. Somebody had to inspire us with a philosophy that was of the world or of the devil. Make us think wrong so we wouldn't be useful to the Lord. Some people come to the Lord, I am sure, and they have been trained to think that now that you've come to the Lord, this is how easy it is to get to heaven. There's nothing you need to do anymore. Because if there's anything you have to do, then it's works. So you don't have to do anything. You don't have to live right. You don't have to talk right, think right, or do right. In essence, I suppose, you could just stay as you used to be. Because born again is a couple of words that go with the religious setting that is given to people that hold up their hand or had good intentions. And if you've done that, you're done. It's over. You just wait till the Lord comes. You're going to heaven. Therefore, you don't become useful. You argue with words of holiness because somebody told you, somebody taught you, and you believed it. I don't have to do anything to go to heaven. Jesus did all the doings I need done. And as they say, when I accepted him, then that's all I can do. Nothing else. I don't care if I cuss and drink, run around bad people, do bad things. I don't care if I split churches. I don't care if I lie and steal and cheat. I'm still going to heaven. But if they say, well, no, and if you've been born again, you won't do that. Well, I agree with you now. 
because I believe you're born again, your life changes. You don't do that no more. If you keep doing that, you've never been born again. I mean, it's pretty clear. But take the church. Turn to two places. One is Jeremiah 23, the other is Isaiah 32. Look at Jeremiah 23. Boy, this is strong. 23 and verse 16. But these people were about to be judged, and Jeremiah didn't care what they thought about him. He had the word of God in his mouth, and he wanted to speak it because this is the only hope these people have is the word of God. Now, Jeremiah 23 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Notice, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. What are they doing to you? They make you vain. The word vain means useless, of no effect. Oh, I know you're a Christian. I know you go to church. I know you've got the name, the title. I know you're a preacher. I know you're a deacon, elder. You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a. But you're vain. You're not useful to the Lord. God cannot just take you and send you wherever he wants to because you've got too many things in you that resist that. I don't think because somebody's taught you you don't have to do anything. So it said, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision out of their own heart. That's self. And not out of the mouth of the Lord. That's spirit. Verse 22, if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their selfish, fleshly ways and from the evil of their doings. That's what would have happened. How do people become vain spiritually? They're taught vanity. The poison of a pulpit has captured the minds of those who came to hear and has deceived them with deceit. I don't care how it sounds. I know people think, well, you hit on that a lot. I'm telling you, the world is lying in a cesspool. And they're trying to paint it better, make it prettier, and make everybody feel good about this. And they look and act and talk and they sing like, that it's all about me and us. You look in the paper and there's a big advertisement. Here's a picture of the new building and the facility and we've got this and we've got that and this is the happy church and we have a happy hour and we do this and we got every night of the week, we got 40 ministries and counseling services and, and this and that and thus and so. Well, why wouldn't you want to go to that church? Because you don't have to raise your kids anymore. Just put them there. How many times have you heard people say, well, they don't have anything there for the kids? You ever heard that? Well, they don't have anything for the kids. Well, we have parents. <laughs> we have parents. It's not the duty of a church to raise your kids or to provide entertainment for your kids. It's not what the church does. It's not what we're supposed to do. It's not what we're called to do. We're not here to provide a happy hour for your children, then maybe they'll turn out better if they have a happy hour. Well, they just get tired of sitting in the seats. Well, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do, but I'm sure they're allowed to get tired too. 
And if they squirm a little bit, they train their mother to take them out so they can go sit in the nursery and play with toys, and then she can talk to other people. Let's go to Isaiah 32 and verse 6. Isaiah 32 and verse 6. He said, don't listen to these people. They're making you vain. Now, but this one here is a strong one. Verse 6, Isaiah 32. For the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity to practice what? Hypocrisy. Now, what's hypocrisy? It's play acting. What's play acting? Making yourself out to be somebody you're not. What actors do? They, it's a form of hypocrisy. You're playing a role. Now, if I'm playing a role this morning and I'm a hypocrite, am I speaking villainy? Yes, because the promotion of my words to you, what's motivating me to say and do what I'm saying is all to get something back from you that's for me. I don't care about you. That's a form of hypocrisy in the church. He said they speak villainy and they practice iniquity or self-serving sins. To practice hypocrisy and notice, and to utter error against the Lord and this is the goal. What's the next few words say? To make empty the soul of the hungry. And you know what? You get used to being empty. And you get satisfied with being empty. And you really don't want anymore. You like that nice, quaint little setting. That nice, comfortable building and seat. All the new stuff in here. You don't want it anymore. You just go to sleep. The preacher becomes, as the prophet said, like a dumb dog. It can't bark. They don't see the sword coming or the devil coming. They don't even know what the sword of the devil is anymore. Don't know what trials are anymore. They don't know how to warn people about anything because they don't know. It's just like dumb dogs that sleep and the congregation has a spirit of slumber. You know why? Because of self and flesh and the people who spoke that poison to them. They poisoned them. Poisoned nice people and good people. And they poisoned them long enough and made it easy long enough and made it suitable and comfortable long enough that they don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. Tell me every day how nice I am. Make me comfortable. Make me happy. I'll be back. Don't stir me up and don't make me get convicted about anything because convictions mean nothing to me because I'm saved because I held my hand up. That's poison. Listen to this translation. For the fool speaks folly and his mind plots iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and to deprive the thirsty of drink. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose, is it possible that what I just said that happened then, is it still happening today? And yet, my people, as he said in the last two verses of Jeremiah 5, my people love to have it so. They like it. Why? Because it doesn't require anything. I don't have to get convicted about anything. It doesn't matter. This, to me, is the epitome of a selfish, self-serving ministry and the poison that came from it making a self-serving and selfish church. 
we're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. We've given up all of our pursuits because maybe it just doesn't matter anymore. Remember Peter said, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, 1 Peter 2.19. While they promise you liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. Or in the Psalms, Psalms chapter 5, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wicked. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Flatter. What is flattery? It's a way of gaining admiration, isn't it? Now, you know what? We all flatter occasionally. Sometime when you tell somebody, say, you know, you really look nice today. You can really mean that, and that wasn't meant to be selfish. It just means, you know, you, you look nice today. What if I tell my wife, I say, Bonnie, you really look nice today. I just like the way you look today. Am I flattering her? Well, yeah. Now, am I trying to gain some advantage? No. There's no advantage to gain after being married 48 years. <laughs> it's just, you just begin to appreciate who you're married to, and, and you want to keep them like that. You know, it's just, say, hey, you look nice. How many of you know that nice words don't hurt you? If somebody says something nice and meaningful and caring, and they really meant it, it's not a bad thing. If somebody said, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. You don't have to get mad. I don't know what you meant. I don't know what you meant by that. You just think I'm not really going to go back. How many of you know other people like that? You can't please them. You can't even deal with them. You can't pastor them. Because they're so touchy. They might have been touchy because they've been abused and had a bad this and a bad that. I don't care what their bad was. God has something bigger than all your bad. Quit using excuses about your past. I know there's molestation of children is bad, and I know that a lot of things that happened, I know that's really bad and left a scar, but God can deliver you from your scars and keep you from going back and blaming somebody else for your problems. We in this room this morning are not victims. I was on my little recent trip with Brother Guthrie out to Yellowstone. We'd miss a turn or, you know, I'd be wrong about something or say something. And I'd say, I'm not admitting I'm wrong because I'm a victim. <laughs> Every time I have, I say, not me, buddy. I'm a victim. Blame somebody else. I can't make mistakes. I'm a victim. And this victim mentality is self-warmed over. It's flesh. Poor little me. Flesh. Selfish. God's delivered you from all of that. Get on the cross and crucify that so we can have good fellowship and not have to be so touchy around each other all the time. All of this business about lying with your tongue and deceiving other people and hypocrisy, God hates lying. Why is it so hard to tell the truth? Flesh. Because if you told somebody the truth, they might think less of you than you want them to think. And so you kind of distort or twist the truth. The fish you caught was this long. But I want it to be this long, so I talk about it being this long. Now people look at me and say, oh, what a fisherman he is. The deer I shot had a rack this big, but when I get to tell it, he was pretty much of a monster. <laughs> the desire of all the hunting fraternity. Why do you tell it like that? Because of who I want to be, it's my flesh. Sometimes it's very, very hard to humble yourselves and admit you're not half what you thought you were. 
But you know what? God will use you when you realize you're not what you thought you were. One thing that God wants from all of us to be useful to him and not vain is to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What does the Lord require of thee in Micah 6? What is it the Lord requires of you? To do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. To hold your head low before God and recognize that he is altogether right and you have nothing without him. That he is God. You're here because of his invitation. You live because of his power. You'll make it because of his grace. It's all God. Give up all your aspirations to be great and famous and pretty and rich and all of that stuff. Give it up. Lay it down. Dedicate and consecrate your whole life to God himself. Let him have his way in you. And concerning this thing about preaching, Matthew 16, I want you to look at this. This has to do with these words. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of whom? Pharisees and the Sadducees. What did he mean in verse 12? What did he mean? When he said, Beware of the teachers teaching in the streets, the ones that everybody looks at, compliments, and holds in high esteem as the intelligent people of the hour, the ones who nobody else is smart enough to teach. Pharisees, they do all the teaching. What did Jesus say to his disciples? You take heed when you're around those people. You be careful what you hear them say. Because in verse 12, he said, what they are giving you is doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. You be careful of what you hear taught. I would say that to all of you sitting here this morning. Don't believe a word I'm saying because I said it in Sunday morning church. That's not what we're here about. You listen to what is being said. You search the scriptures to see if that's in there. And if it's in there, give God thanks and not a man. Because we're not here to glorify or to follow a man. We may honor a man. Because God may put somebody here to teach us. But... The teaching means nothing if it doesn't come from the book. If it doesn't come out of this book, it means nothing. But if it's in the book, you follow it. You follow it because somebody showed you that and pointed that out to you, and that's it. That's what you want. Anything that would disgrace your Christian life and leave you empty and helpless would be the effects of, of the sin of leaven, of wrong teaching. That's why I tell people, don't just go to church because, well, we're not in church. We need to go somewhere. You'd better find out what they believe. Because a lot of people, a lot of good people have gone to church and been put to sleep by error and falsehood and came to the place where there's nothing to it but just coming and sitting and giving some money, and that's all there is to it, and you don't have to do anything else, and there's no daily seeking, there's no praying, there's no reading, there's no concern about your life and your words and your sins and your weaknesses and your failures and your faults, and you're not doing anything about it because you're told you don't have to. It's nothing to it. You're being killed. You're being poisoned. This is a slow-working poison, but it's putting you to death. Like God said, these people who are doing this are making you vain. Turn to Romans 14 now. In the world, what about listening to unbelief? 
or worldly talk. Worldly talk and unbelief. Would that mean all the gossip shows? That would include that. How about all the conservative talk shows? It would include that. What is a conservative talk show? You're being told what's wrong with Democrats. That's basically it. And you're being told in a way that makes you want to just grit your teeth and swing at them. Then you're going to go to church Sunday morning and there's a Democrat in the room and I don't know how you would know he's a Democrat. I don't know why you even know why he'd be there, but, but <laughs> well, all I can say is that the voting record in that part of the Congress hasn't been good the last few years. But I mean, why would you want to hear about the greatness of God if you don't even know for sure it even exists? Let me get off subject. Liberalism is a gray area in somebody's life. And a gray area means that nothing is sacred, nothing is certain. Everything changes. What was true then may not be true now. What they did back then may not be done now. And when you get to the place where you have that kind of a philosophy, you wouldn't go to a place like this. I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I don't vote. I'm not registered to vote. I don't have a dog in the fight either way. All I'm saying is that there are people whose philosophy and whose lifestyle is such that God has little to do with it. And I guess what I meant, and it was a very ugly way to say it, but why would anybody want to come here who didn't want anything to do with God? There's a lot of Republicans like that too. The raunchiest music played today is the prelude to these talk shows. Welcome, here we go. You know, we're going to kill Democrats today. I mean, the music is as bad as the venom. You get to hearing about all these latest things that was done, and you, I listened to one the other night. I was driving down the road, I'm thinking, <sighs> then I realized it wasn't Rush Limbaugh, it was somebody else, and I thought, oh, oh, call the army. <laughs> now, what place, I'm asking, what place does that have in my mind? Why should I give place to that? Well, what if they're right? What if they are? How you love your enemies if you're being trained to hate them? See, we're all victims. It's the Democrats' fault. They would say, or the Democrats say, well, we're all victims because of the Republicans' fault. You know, all that money they spent. I don't think they can play that card anymore. But anyway, turn to Acts 14. We're talking about a lot of things, but I want to get back on the subject here. Acts 14 and verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews, this happens a lot, happens too much. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. Or the unbelieving talk show host stirred up Christians. Or the poisonous talk show people stir up, well, how's he say it? stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Now, if you have another translation, it might say like this one says, and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Or in the Montgomery New Testament said, and embittered them against the brethren. You could add to this thing like gossip, tail-bearing, Fault finding, 
This is what the world feeds on. And talk show hosts have made millions and millions of dollars finding fault. And we've jumped in there to ride that bandwagon with them. It's like, oh, man, they ought to do something about this. This is what's happened to a lot of people that's had their minds evil affected. I have to admit that, you know, I've been affected by that in a lot of ways. I didn't even listen to any kind of political talk at all until about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I began to listen to it because I was older and I slowed down a little bit and began to smell the flowers while I'm running through the world. And I began to realize that people that my age that grew up whenever I did in the same value-centered time of America 40 years ago when marriages stayed married and people didn't live together without marriage and didn't dress like they dress today. There was no such thing as beachwear 40 years ago, anything like this nasty stuff that girls are wearing today. Not even close. Everything has changed, but it hadn't been a good change. Something has poisoned this whole society where it's become lewd and lustful. And I began to listen to the voting record. Who voted for abortion? What majority party in the Congress voted for it? And I began to realize who voted for it, who made it possible. What segment of Congress voted against the Ten Commandments? I don't really care myself. But they made a religious issue out of it, and the talk of God came into all this, and one group in Congress voted on the side of wrong. And then some of the other segments of our society that promotes pornography, National Education Association, National Endowment of the Arts. Some of these things are granted millions of dollars, maybe a billion dollars. And they're spewing poison everywhere. And look at society. Look at society. Things have just changed a whole lot because our minds or the minds of this country and the minds of a lot of young people in this country have been evil affected. They have been poisoned by the popular notions and the popular views and the popular ways. And sometimes you do, whether it's unpopular or not, sometimes you do have to call people's attention to the fact that this part of our society is not good and it's not right. While I may not agree much of any way with the Democratic voting record, I certainly cannot stand with the poisonous Republican side. So where do you stand? With Jesus? I'm not a part of any of it. I just happen to live where it goes on. The point of it is that evil company and unbelieving talk, sitting around talking about your doctors and the latest operations and the latest health forecast, all that stuff will poison you. It just simply poisons you. A whole lot of the stuff that's on TV, all this kind of stuff, it leads to killing and hurting and maiming and, and the doctor talk and the hospital shows, it'll poison you because it introduces into your mind a different way of seeing things. And then you get together with Christians and they start talking about, well, you know, I've been thinking about that too. And then they begin to give in to this same kind of poison. Next thing you know, it's hard to teach on healing. 20 years ago, you could say certain things about divine healing. Amen. Now it's just quiet. Hardly anybody does. Almost nobody. Because it's changed. The years that have come by, our children have grown up. The whole society has changed. 
It is more sinful today than, well, as the Bible says, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be at the end. And that has affected so many people's minds. It's poisoned us. And the only hope we have is the cross. Not the one he was on, but he said, you better get on one too. Oh, I don't have to get on a cross. That would be works. Well, I'm telling you, accept you, take up your cross daily, deny yourself, you won't make it. And your opposition, the Bible calls self. Your honoriness, the Bible calls self. All of this kind of stuff, God has to judge it. Take the effect of your friends. Evil company does what? Evil company corrupts good manners. You want to hang around angry people? Proverbs says you're a fool. Hang around cocky people. People who want to act bad. People who are sensitive, want to fight, act tough all the time. Girls who want to flirt and be around. You want to be like that? You hang around them, they'll make you like that. That's self. Notice me. Be like me. Follow me. Admire me. Lust after me. Want me. All of that stuff is self. And how about greed? How about James chapter 5? Greed. How many people have gone into enormous debt because of greed? How many people have depended on the freedom of the card, the plastic card, to get what they want and then couldn't pay that bill at the end of the month? You not only have done wrong, but you're showing greed. Chapter 5, verse 1. Go now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. A rich man doesn't know this. It's future. He said it shall. The rich man respects very few people. He's got money. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need favor from anybody. He's got money. He can buy what he wants, drive what he wants, live what he wants. As far as a rich man is concerned, you're for sale. Everything has its price. And if he offers you enough money, he can buy you. And he can use his money to influence and own you and control you with his money. It is the spirit of greed because he's full of self. Verse 2 your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. That's the way God sees him. Your gold and silver are cankered and the rust. Now, the word rust here is the same word as poison. The word we've been using, poison. Your gold and silver is cankered and the poison of them, what it's done to you, the greed of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Greed. Why is it that so many well-to-do people don't want to pay their help? Some of you guys that are businessmen here know that you've done a lot of work, maybe an occasional work for a well-to-do person who won't pay their bills. I talked to a man recently. He had done a job for a guy, big job. 
It's a $22,000 job. $22,000. That would help anybody's home. 22,000 bucks. And the guy he did it for, a very big project, and the guy had a lot of money, wealthy man. But he put it off, paid him, he put it off. After about three months, he said, you're going to have to pay me, man. I got a lot of bills, and this is really holding me back because I had to buy these materials. I got to pay my supplier. He said, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if your work was that good or not. Anyway, he got down to where he wound up paying the guy $11,000 for his job and then bragged about it to somebody else. There's words in Proverbs, I won't turn to that, but stuff in Proverbs about that. Somebody does work for you and say, well, you know, I don't have it today. Come back tomorrow. That night, they're out at an expensive restaurant eating somewhere, and then tomorrow, well, I just don't have it. You have to come back next week. These people are going to be judged. It's just greed. Because this guy, these people that act like this, not all well-to-do people are like that. Some of them are very liberal, are very giving. But they're full of themselves. Their money means power. If I've got money, I've got power. I'm all right. I can still do and go and have and be. And I remember many years ago, I never was rich, but I had sold a house and had oh, at least $8,000 left over, got convicted about being out of debt. One of those tapes came in a mail, get out of debt. And I thought, you know, listen to the tape like most people do. My flesh would say, well, now, you're not ready for that. Well, of course it's good to be out of debt. You know, the Bible says that. Quit getting so convicted about that. If you spend all your money getting out of debt, what are you going to do if, if a rainy day comes? I don't know. All I know over here is this book. Quit looking in the book so much. Think like a man. So I venture to look how much money do I owe. Oops. GMAC, car loan, yellow Oldsmobile, wasn't worth that. But that's how much I owed. Pennies. Pennies charge card. And another a tape recorder. Bought. Man, I figured all this up, and I owe, whoo, $5,500. Then I remember sitting there in Henryville, Indiana, in the evening, thinking, what am I going to do? My flesh doesn't want to do this because I want something that I can have in case I get in a bind. I don't mind preaching about faith. I'm just, just not sure I want to live it. I mean, you know, I like to tell you all to get out of that, but I ain't sure I want to myself. So I said, all right, I'm going to do it. I wrote all these checks. Put a stamp on them, took them to the post office. Wonderful feeling, out of debt, offset by another feeling. You're just about broke. And a Baptist preacher called me. He had doctor bills that he just couldn't pay and wanted to know if I could loan him money to pay his doctor bills. I said, how much you need? 2,500. I don't want to pay your doctor bills. What am I going to, I, I, I mean, 
What about rainy days? This is how you walk by faith. I said, okay, I can do that. He said, I'll pay you back. He never did because by the time a year later when I talked to him, his bills were back that much all over again. I wrote him a check, sent it to him, and I was broke. That's how I got here because we learned to live that way and learn to live one day at a time. And it kills your flesh because your flesh just, oh, what are we going to do? 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 And you keep saying with words back to this thing as you're being reprogrammed by God now to go from the world and its so-called security unto God and his promised security. You come to a place where, praise the Lord, phone rings, preach a revival. Come up here and preach a revival. And I think, I'm not a preacher. My heart said, do you want to eat? <laughs> oh, man, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. Got in a car that morning driving to Lancaster Baptist Church. Beautiful, sunny morning. Nervous, really nervous. Because preach a revival in a Baptist church, me? That's what I'm getting ready to do. And then the devil pops up and says, you know, you're driving down this road. You don't have any insurance and you're broke. That same tape had to do with canceling insurance. Of course, that all goes too. And I'm thinking, oh boy, I've never been here before. My flesh always had its peace in something else. And now I'm with nothing, nothing. They said, what are you going to do if you run over somebody and hit somebody and they sue you? And then I laughed. <laughs> what are they going to get? My other pair of shoes? What are they going to get? I don't have anything anymore. It's all God. That's all I got. How are you going to pay your bills next week? No more money's coming in from the school year. 12 months is over, and then this revival comes up. I, I don't know. And there was enough money from that revival to pay next month's bills and buy groceries and put gas in the car and go to town and back. It's been like that ever since. 40 years, 40 years, and he's never failed. But the one thing that I have seen when the blessings begin to flow is when the flesh gets out of the way. You can't manipulate God. You can't control God. You can't do this to God. You have to live according to his word and trust him one day at a time. And everything that is against faith is flesh. It has all of its reasons. It has all of its excuses. It's what makes us argue and fuss and fight and fall out. It's flesh. But there comes that day you surrender. You see what the world has done to you. It's made a monster out of you. And you begin to turn to God. You don't know much. You feel really ignorant, and I do, and sometimes I still do. But all I know is that he's faithful. He's never failed. So my self-security, my self-whatever that I used to depend on, it's all fading away. If he wants more of it, he can have it all. If they want to run over you, let them run over you. If they want to throw you out, throw me out. I'm just going to count on God. The poison begins to come out. And you begin to sense a freedom. If you ever have this happen, if the poison leaves, you begin to sense a freedom you never had before. It really is a new way of living. All things really do become new because you've got to get something out of the way that prevented it. And when you get it out of the way, it's like a breath of heavenly air comes in. 
Then you begin to worship. Then you begin to praise. You begin to be excited about little things in God. Hope, faith, peace, joy. Amen. How about you folks this morning sitting here? You got any poison in your system? Do you need an antidote? I'm going to give you one next week. Do you need any more than that? You need everything God has. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, look upon us this morning. Look at our hearts, our minds, each one of us. The young ones, the teens, the parents, grandparents, look at us, Lord. You see in us everything that has to be gotten out of us. You can see in us everything that hinders you from expressing yourself through us. You can see it. And Lord, if our eyes are closed, we can't see it. But I pray you will open our eyes till we can see what we need to deal with in each one of our lives, each one of us in this room. Not to make ourselves better. We're not interested in that either. We want to crucify ourselves. We want to get ourself out of the way so that it can be all spirit. We want to be loose from a carnal, worldly trained mind so that the mind of Christ can dwell in us. We can only do that if you do what you do. And I ask you this morning in the name of Jesus to deal with all of us in this room, those who watch, those who listen. Turn us around and turn us away from everything that you're going to judge. And as the book says, teach me thy way that I may walk in thy truth. No more arguments, no more hindrances, no more turning back. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. And before I say amen, is your heart right this morning? Did you come wanting to hear what God has to say? Do you really want to live right in this world? Do you really want to meet Jesus when he comes? You want to be ready? Is there anything that's preventing you from being right? Does God show you anything in your life this morning that you need to deal with? Anything. Why don't you make a decision right now? I'm going to nail that to the cross this week. Every time it pops up, I'm going to crucify it. I'm not going to let that thing dominate my conversation or my manner of life anymore. No more. I'm going to quit going around my feelings hurt, feeling sad, and in unbelief about tomorrow. I'm going to crucify that stuff. Because life isn't about money. It's about Jesus. Now, Lord, I ask you to deal with everybody's heart this morning. Let us take this home with us this morning, what we just thought and felt in our hearts. Help us to take that home and leave it in our hearts and deal with it. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Would you stand to your feet? Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. And precious silver, purify my heart. Let me be as gold, your gold. 
refiner's fire my heart's one desire is to be holy set apart for you Lord I choose to be holy set apart for you my master ready to do your will purify my heart let me be as gold and precious silver purify my heart let me be as gold Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you. Ready to do your will, ready to do your